You're listening to Theo Live, a live YouTube stream podcast hosted by me, Dean Lentini. Every week, I try to give you biblical theology for normal people. If you're interested in hopping into the conversation, you can catch us live every Monday on my YouTube channel. Link in the show notes. Now let's get into it. Hey, welcome to Theo Live, episode number 39. I actually counted this time. I look back. It's been 39 of these things. A couple little things before we get into the main topic today. We're talking with Wyatt Graham of TGC Canada, and I'm very excited to have him on. We're digital friends, and so it's it's, uh, just kind of fun to see his face, you know, Uh, but also to be able to just talk about what's going on in Canada. But before we get into the conversation, I do have to say a few things. First, to all the Americans who are watching, uh, happy Independence Day. Uh, here's your presence. Uh, we're going to talk about Canada. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, you know, it'll be fun. It'll be a good conversation, maybe a little bit of learning for you. But, uh, also I want to let you know, uh, that I have updated the podcast. Some of you guys have been asking about an audio way cause you don't want to see my face and yes, I'm offended, but also, you know, I listen to you. So, uh, if you look on Apple podcasts or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, you will see Theo live and all the episodes are up there. Uh, I'm not doing too much of like audio stuff to make it sound super crisp or anything. I really focus on the YouTube aspect. So, I'm uh, just, just giving a little bit of a caveat. If you're like, well, that sounded weird. Well, that's how it sounded on YouTube. So that's, that's what it is, but you can go and, uh, listen to that. Um, you know, when you're at work, I know some of you guys do that. Uh, and I will be taking some questions, but I do want to be a little bit, you know, careful about what we're going to be talking about because I know how it goes on the internet streets. Um, we're not talking about TGC in the United States. Like this this is a big difference. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, Canadian, uh, happenings and things going on up here. So if you're interested, I think this is going to be a really good conversation. Um, but also keep your questions, you know, focused on what's going on North of the border for a lot of you guys. Uh, because well, all my stats tell me it's like 80% us that watches my videos. So, uh, just giving you a little bit of a heads up. So today I am talking with Wyatt Graham, who is now here. Thanks for coming, man. I really appreciate you, uh, hopping into this. And I know it's a little weird sometimes coming on someone's YouTube channel. So appreciate you just, uh, being flexible even with the timing and all of that. So how are you doing? Yeah. Um, we're okay. Um, family vacation happened. Moved into a new house. They're doing lots of work, so always busy with something. Yeah, and you're you're over in Ontario, right? Yeah, I live in Hamilton, so so it's not Toronto, but it's kind of Toronto. If you're uh, from the U.S., you can think of it that way. Sure. And so you have been the executive director at TGC Canada since its in, its inception, right? Like it's been like six years, I think. Uh, yeah, six years in like two months. So yeah, I started in 2016 to sort of establish TGC Canada, which as you noted, is really its own thing. I mean, I have friendships with people in the US, but like, like, I don't know, maybe once a year I talk to Colin Hansen. It's not like, it's not this, they're independent entities, although we have a shared kind of theological outlook. It's kind of the way I think about it. So let's, let's talk for a second about that theological outlook. Would you identify as woke or wokest? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just I don't kidding. Think I'm the wokest. I I think that most of my opinions are would be based. I'm sure, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just I just wanted to throw it out there because, like I said, I know how the internet streets are, and you know, whenever someone on YouTube at least seems to be talking about TGC, they want to go talk about certain other things. We're not here to talk about any of that, though. Uh, so tell me a little bit. All right. So there's a little bit of a disconnect between TGC Canada and, you know, like there's TGC Australia is, isn't there Japan now as well? Yeah. There's one in France, Korea, China, Africa. Yeah. Netherlands. I'm not, I actually don't know about Japan. There there might be. Yeah. It's 
because it's a voluntary association, it's sure. pretty easy to join on. And so a lot of countries find it useful, especially because like, so TGC is like just one example. They're um, academic journal. Mm-hmm. I think it reaches like half a million reads per year because if you're a seminary in Africa or Southeast Asia or whatever, it's completely free and okay. usually pretty good quality theological education material. So it has a kind of reach that's that's unique, I think, um, across the world. Uh, maybe sure. more like if you live in the north, like you don't think about it as much because you're kind of just used to like the main thing. There's a conference and so on, but across the world, there's tons of readers, yeah. which uh, or watchers, whatever you kind of whatever the media type is. So it's kind of interesting. Sure. So on like the the daily of like what you are doing with TGC Canada, what what does that look like? What are you guys working on? Like obviously you have the website and people are writing articles, right? Right. Uh, so I'd say like just from, for, for me, um, because we have a, it's like an online edited magazine. So I'm doing a lot of editing of articles, communicating with people, event planning. We're um, probably, probably tomorrow going to release our website for a conference we're doing this fall in November in Oakville. Okay. Um, and I'm also planning events for the next two years after that. We're, for example, I've been meeting with someone and we're planning this kind of like 10 year Delusions are grandeur plan to develop oh, cool. um, women theologically and to give them opportunities to, to expand on their gifting for teaching and so on. So this is kind of a delusion of grandeur, but I, I hope it goes well. So we'll we'll do conferences, events, and try to build up as many women we can to to learn and love theology and teach it as well. All right. Well, that's awesome. So I know that kind of at stuff. least my wife would be <laughs> super interested in that. But okay. So you've been working at TGC Canada uh, for six years, you've been in charge. You've been seeing a lot of what's been going on. And like, I mean, I think actually, I think, uh, I came into Canada to, to minister at the same time that you started there. Uh, so like it, it's, it's kind of weird to think about it that way. Cause a lot has changed in the last six years. So I, I'd really like to get your opinion because like unlike maybe some other organizations, uh, other you know folks uh, who are mostly like their organizations are focused on being on a platform, like uh, doing conferences, doing different get-togethers and things like that. You know, you're in a church. Like you, you're you're not some like high up guy who's like looking down on uh, evangelicalism. Not that they would, but like you're you're in the midst. Like you're you're with us. You're you're in the church. Uh, a lot of the guys who write for TGC Canada are pastors. Uh, so like you have been in the thick of it for the last six years. You're not like unaware of things. So how have you seen things go on since your tenure started at TGC Canada of uh, maybe, maybe some of the issues that we've been having here in Canada, because like, let's be honest, uh, you know, focus on the, the American side for a second. Uh, there's a lot of cable news stuff going on over the last couple of years about all the different things happening here. Um, do you think that's affected churches and just generally how do you feel things have been uh, going for evangelicalism here in Canada? Big questions. Yeah. Um, we, you're, you're from the U S right? Yeah. Originally. Yep. yep. Okay. So I was, I was living in the U S we actually both moved from the U S to Canada. I'm, I'm Canadian, but I was living in the U S for a while at the same time. So we, we probably all, both of us have seen the same kind of trajectories, although you're more in the West and I'm more in the center to East part of Canada. Sure. Although I'm kind of a hurt Alberta. And I don't know if you knew that I'm, I was, I grew up in Alberta, well, BC and Alberta. Um, so I would say the perennial problem of Canadian, that seems like evangelicals. I can't tell you about all Canadian. I'm not sure. going to speak for Lutherans or something like that. Um, so we tend to be a little bit more isolated and less likely to work together than our friends to the South. Meaning in the U S probably because there's just so much opportunity, so many institutions, it almost feels natural and easy to kind of build on top of each other. So you even think of some of the, the like the Southern Baptist Seminary and yeah. it partners with Desiring God and Desiring God has its own, um, not its own seminary, but it does have a seminary connected to uh, the church there. I think is it Bethlehem. I can't remember offhand. And so there's these overlapping networks and they all kind of grow together. Um, whereas in Canada, I think 
not that we never do that, but it's it's less common for us to. Mm-hmm. And I think there might be a little because we have less here, a little bit of fear, like, well, if we we kind of want to preserve what we have and not lose it because there's so few of us. And so like the risk factor of, of joining up and kind of working together uh, maybe seems a bit more worrisome here. So I think that was always in the background. And over the last two years during COVID, I do think some of that maybe has been exacer- exacerbated. There's been, how should we say, some division, some disagreements. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, so your own household probably has people who like disagree on how much you want to comply to government restrictions or mandates. Um, my wife, my wife and I are family. on the same page. It's the kids. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's the kids who are bad. Yeah. Yeah. But there's even I many different parenting things. People are more pro vaccine, less vaccine. And you have kids in the mix. How does that work? And families usually probably every family has one person who is very, very strong viewed as for or against certain things. And that caused tension. Very active. Church on families Facebook, have a yes. similar thing yeah. on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, church families are the same thing where you had like say a pastor be really strong or like two congregants in the church be really strong. And there's, there's issues then denominations as well. So I think probably we've, we had this sort of context where we were a little less likely to work together in certain respects, not everywhere at all times, but just as a general pattern. And I think COVID has continued and maybe made that a little bit worse in certain respects. I also think it's interesting. So you have in evangelicals, like, so in my circles, basically all the churches I know, uh, whenever they could or regularly meeting, you know, I know a church, I think in Toronto that like did like 17 services with like 10 people or something ridiculous at one point wow. during lockdowns. Um, like at my small group, we, we met with like, cause we were under 10. So we just met the entire time we met at my church as a religious service. We, we did all the stuff you had to do for like those, like what are those four week lockdowns were. Yeah. Um, so I've seen the church has been pretty faithful and, and growing both numerically and in depth. So there's been a lot of like, um, how should I say this? People are committing because they see the importance of it. And for those churches, I think it's actually benefited because a lot of people have realized how important this kind of physical meeting is. Because when, you, when you're when you on a lockdown, I don't remember how long they were, like four weeks or whatever they were, maybe longer. You, you almost feel, you miss it, right? Like I remember my sure. wife was at, um, at a play park and she was talking with the mom there. I was like, she hadn't seen anyone for like a year because family was far away and friends were not close. And it was weird because we had a church family and at least in Ontario, it's different everywhere. Churches, for the most part, were always allowed to meet and at a higher capacity than businesses. So I think it was like 30% of a building capacity, which if you have a bigger building, like I know it's a privilege of a big building. I'm not saying it's everyone, but for ours, you could kind of pack out into the, the common area and yeah. really that meant just like two services. Um, so we were always, we saw people every week in a small group during the week. So it was always around people, you know, and you kind of forget like how important that is, except for when that is taken away from you. So I think that's helped. On the other hand, I, I don't know as many of these churches, but I know some like churches apparently are, are still not meeting again. So they stayed closed really for like 18 months or whatever, and there's not meeting. Um, I can't tell you why exactly that is. I don't know the reason. Yeah, I'd be curious it, to find that out. Like, cause like here, uh, you know, we've been very careful. Like, uh, we're, we're probably, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> you know, just to put all the cards on the table. Like we, we've been very careful about our interactions with folks. Um, you know, until we finally got COVID, uh, about like two months ago. And, uh, up until then we had stayed, you know, clear of it. Um, but we've also, you know, lots of churches around here, uh, you know, they were never shut down. Like, uh, all, all the news media that you see online, especially coming from the South has been, you know, churches have either been shut down or meeting at full capacity. And that's really never been the story, at least here in Saskatchewan. Um, you know, there, there were a couple weeks where a lot of churches, uh, chose not to meet, um, you know, especially at the beginning when all of us are just kind of freaking out, right? Like we're in a pandemic, like what, <laughs> like, uh, this is something I read in like history books. I don't want to be a part of this, you know? Uh, so everyone's just kind <laughs> right. of figuring out, you know, what are we going to do? What, how long is this going to last all of that? So most churches shut down at that point. 
but eventually they started opening up and at, at no point, at least to my knowledge, were at least the vast majority of churches, uh, closed, like they were pretty much always open, uh, but doing similar things to what you're talking about of being careful and having smaller groups, multiple services. I don't think anybody had 17 services. <laughs> that, that's like, I get tired yeah. preaching well, I after two. I remember the exact number, but it was. Yeah, during lockdown, I think you could only have like 10 people gathering or something. So churches just did like a crazy, maybe it was 17. I can't remember the number offhand, but it was just something like that for a church. I remember. I believe Toronto, it. So you know what that means? That means commitment to ecclesiology. Look at those guys. <laughs> well, that's the funny part because you kind of see, you know, there's some criticism like we should ignore it. But then it's like, well, you know, there's this I think, month long lockdown where you can only have 10 people gathering. And then you have a church doing like whatever it was 17 services you know like well that's what you're criticizing you, m- you might disagree with them don't get me sure. wrong but it's it's been odd i mean part of the funny part of the story is if you have baptist ecclesiology which you have this local congregational autonomy then you have baptists criticizing other congregation con- congregations have their own autonomy so it's an ecclesial enigma to me how baptists can criticize other baptists because they're not really ecclesiologically able to but they do anyways this never stopped um, us before, man. <laughs> never stopped just, before, yeah. <laughs> we're just always going for it. Always going for the jugular. tradition of whatever, 300 years, so. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, there, that's a lot of, like, the background stuff. But I, I'm curious to, to know, because, again, like, hey, you spent a lot of time in the States, you know, down there in California and all over the place. Like, how, how many degrees do you got, bro? Like, like. Is it like six or seven uh, now? <laughs> I have five. Five. And they're all from United States institutions, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. Liberty, Masters, and yeah, um, in Southern. Yep. Like you got your PhD, so I should call you Dr. Graham. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Did I offend you? I re- uh, I'm really big into titles, so you must call me that. Most Holy Doctor Wyatt Graham, um, most, holy, most reverend, doctor, <laughs> most reverend. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so you spent a lot of time in the States. Obviously I've spent a lot of time in the States and then over the last six years, like at least for me, you know, it didn't start with the pandemic of a lot of like the division that we've seen. And that like, for me, looking around Canadian evangelicalism, I see a lot of division. Like, um, you know, there are bright spots that I want us to make sure that we highlight uh, of different things that are happening. Uh, But there is a lot of division. And for me, I see it mostly on politics. And I'm curious if you would agree with me and, you know, if you want to take a different tangent on it, that's fine, too. Um, But I, I saw this kind of starting in like as soon as I got here. Like it it seemed to be like just kind of slowly people talking more about certain cable news, like depending on their perspective uh, of just, you know, they're either talking about Fox News or CNN, depending on where they're lining up uh, politically. And it just like became more and more of a talking point. And then the pandemic set in and it just like kind of like blew up the whole thing as far as like making it a bigger issue. Uh, do you think that that would be accurate? Like in what you've experienced and like your interactions with, uh, you know, you guys work with so many different churches across, you know, different denominational lines. Do you think like the, the politics angle has been building up for a bit or do you think it's mostly just with the pandemic? Hmm. Yes and no. So I think there's a couple pieces of context then I will get to the direct answer. So one is, sure. where, where does the disunity happen? A lot of it lives online. So for example, in my city, there's like a fraternity of churches that meet together, work through things. And a lot of it's just, they're not tweeting about it. So there is a sense in which um, Twitter or Facebook or whatever you're on, it universalizes specific things. So it makes something happening in Texas seem like it's the story of the whole world. Yeah. The second thing to that is, uh, in, uh, so this is the 4th of July, so I have to be careful. Yeah, yeah. But in the U.S., a lot of Christian leaders use Canada to prosecute proxy wars for their political advantage, their yes. religious political advantage. So you saw this in the last couple of years where there was 
a lot of U.S. podcasts and shows that were inviting you know Canadians in order to create a narrative of like say socialism in Canada in order to defeat some sort of um, fear in the U. I don't actually know the details of what the U.S. is trying to move towards, but just they're, they're pushing their political agenda and they're using Canada as sort of examples. So you had all these stories. I remember people even that I knew talked to me about like how there's camps in Canada. They're going to like steal our children because they're not going to be vaccinated. And yeah, uh, there's Chinese troops aboard, like everything you could possibly have. And a lot of this is, is created in the U.S. in order to sell clicks, in order to sell media, in order to sell whatever. But when it gets added to the kind of religious political sphere, you have a number of churches in the U.S., I mean, Texas, California, wherever. They're using Canada in order to, you know, prosecute their own kind of local war. And they're using us as a proxy war, just like in the Cold War, you might have different states fighting, but really it's not U.S. and Russia mm. directly, for example, or however that exactly worked. So this is one of the big problems. And then a lot of us, uh, because we respect people to the south of the border, we get caught up in it. So it's not just so much that people are watching, like, say, Fox News or CNN. It's that on Facebook or whatever media they're using, they're seeing their U.S. heroes um, talk about Canada in ways that are inaccurate. Like recently, I saw someone who say, like, said that he'd rather his children grew up in like Soviet Russia than in Canada because it's worse today, which is stupid. Man. It's not. Yeah. Objectively. Um, it's a ridiculous statement full of propaganda and idiocy. But uh, sorry, I guess we're alive. That was probably too strong. Uh, but um, the, the, right. but this, is the, this is the problem that we're in right now. So uh, I think a lot of it, we need to disengage the U.S. political machine and realize that a lot of this is driven by money and deep political pockets in order to gain some advantage in the U.S. And the churches here get raised for the sake of our, for whatever they're trying to do. Um, that's not everyone, of course. That's just in certain segments. And I think we've probably all seen this in various ways over the past two years in heightened levels because... The pandemic created a lot of problems everywhere, and it still is. Um, the other thing is, in terms of political, yeah, you're right that there is this kind of political elevation. But part of it is, especially among Baptists, we've never, at least in Canada, we've had um, such a good hundred-year shot of things that are um, we're, we're just not used to kind of being at the end of the barrel. We're not used to being kind of uncomfortable. And so we never really had to develop a political theology that explained like how we as the these Canadian churches need to relate to the to the government in, in if the government's antagonistic against us. Not that never any Baptist has, but I'm just saying in our sure. local history, we haven't had to really think through it very carefully. So there's a number of options on what to do. You could kind of be a retreatist, do your own thing. You could be ultra compliant because you don't think there's any options. For resistance so you just read like a, a verse that says you should comply to the government and that's what you do in full um if you're maybe a confessional reform person you can access reformed theology but then a number of baptists is kind of accessed what i would say is is, is kind of the theonomic arguments that were popularized in the u.s by guys like doug wilson or I, he's not a theonomist but he he uses some of the arguments he says that you should um we need more rj rush Dooney, he says even though he's not a theonomist. So Rush Dooney is a, is a, is a key yeah. theonomist, for example. Um, and others who are kind of using arguments like this who are kind of the famous YouTubers or, or whatever in the U.S. And so some of that's happening in Canada too. So you see these arguments and they're giving you sort of this political excitement and energy. And, you know, whatever the newest thing you're most excited about, whether it's Stranger Things or Star Wars, that's what you talk about for like the next month. Sure. Well, everyone started talking about these exciting kind of political ideas and theology that sort of freed them up from uh, certain obligations they felt like they had towards society and the government, maybe moving more into a libertarian direction. And it became exciting. Everyone talked about it. And I think that was part of the political fascination. What's interesting now is that because the pandemic restrictions are basically over, except for international travel in Canada, now these arguments are, get, are getting boring again. So everyone's worried about inflation or, or like uh, housing prices, right? Sure. So it's just been redirect. So anyways, to answer your question more directly, I don't know if it heightened since 2016, but I think because of the intensity of the pandemic, a lot of these issues came to light. And I think because we were so uncomfortable, we let our, Basically, we all had like a bit of a, we had a two-year sickness, which is like not actual COVID, but COVID, the COVID crazies, mm. because we were more isolated, less, we had less experience of, of normal freedoms. 
and we were uncomfortable. And so we got grumpy. And a lot of us are getting ungrumpy and, and maybe realizing, oh, maybe we should have been kinder. Um, so anyways, I, it, so yes and no is my answer. So I, I don't think it's heightened per se. It's just more exposed. Okay. And I think our hearts you, have been more exposed. You know, that makes sense. Like hearing you explain it that way. Um, I don't know why I'm getting messages. I have do not disturb on. Um, but like uh, when I was first coming up to Canada, I actually had family members, uh, you know, tell, tell me, don't do it. Don't you go there as if I was going to like some barren wasteland, you know, like just often, you know, somewhere where they're, you know, like they, all the horror stories that they hear on like news radio, cause they don't even do cable. So it's like news radio of like health stuff and all of that. And that was years ago. Like this was even back when uh, Heather and I first got married in 2010, uh, when we spent a year here and we're thinking about staying here, we ended up going back down and then coming back up. But it's just kind of interesting for you to like kind of lay it out that way, because, yeah, like uh, would would you say that Canada is the biggest red herring of all? (laughs) Like just kind of like, well, it's been like this for years. I remember when I was younger, I think I was helping with the church plan in Calgary and there's this, um, there was, there's a park get together and some Christians came over to pray. And I think that police escorted them away. I can't remember the exact scenario, but was, I think the idea was there was, there was a reserved area and they came into a, a reserved area and they were asked to leave. Well, then you get into the U S news and it's like, uh, pastors praying or arrested in Canada. It's, it's yeah. a, you know, it's a Soviet state or whatever. And you're like, well, <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah. And I, we've, I've grown up with this my whole life and more and more it becomes ridiculous because it's mostly false and these big radio programs podcasts in the u.s create a narrative that they have in the u.s they make canada this fearful place when in reality it's not and then they promote that on their media to promote their own program to make clicks and money and it's at one point we just have to realize this can i know you're not canadian but you're living in canada as canadians just need to disengage from this love the people i mean i'm married to an american i love the u.s if i was living there i would have been probably a citizen right now so i do love the u.s but I don't love it's um, the, the the political machine that is that Christians then use in order to build their platform in the U.S. Again, that's like a five percent five percent sliver yeah. of the pie. So I love the rest. I love you know John Piper, Tim Keller is like my favorite preacher. Uh, I was converted by reading. Well, I don't know if I was converted. I was I became excited and captured by the Bible by reading a John MacArthur um, study Bible. And mine had all the all the John MacArthur notes were in red, and so it was great. So I knew what the most important part was. Oh That's man! Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. Is that like an option with the LSB? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. No, I, I, I mean I worked at that church. I served at that church as an intern for four or five years, and I was mentored by a great pastor there. I'm still friends with. Um, so. When I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about everyone's life. I'm just saying that's a sliver of the pie, but the sliver of the pie gets then because social media, again, your local issue is universal. So something's happening in tiny town, Texas, and a guy has a reach of like 100,000 on his podcast. He picks something in like tiny town, yeah. Alberta, and then says, this is a universal issue everyone has to hear about. Then you have, a, you know, someone like in, uh, I don't know, Sweden, who's like, wow, Canada's really having a problem. <laughs> and then you talk to the Swedish yeah. person, you're like, no, they're just made up. And that's the yeah. way the internet works right now. Yeah, it kind of is that way. And I'm one of those guys. So, well, no, but, um, so well, we got to, everyone has to use it. It's just, just the way it is. Well, yeah. And you gotta, you know, you gotta have to balance things out a little bit and use a little bit of discernment on what you're going to talk and how, how big a deal you're going to make it. Like everyone has to be responsible and how they deal with all like these little, news clips and different things. Um, but so we kind of talk a little bit about the effect from the U S um, and kind of what we've been going through over the last couple of years, but how, how do you see things coming out of that? Cause here we are, you know, pretty, pretty removed now. I think, I think we can say that the pandemic is over. Like I, no one's ever come out and like, like, I don't know, hit a gavel because I'm Baptist <laughs> hit a gavel and been like, uh, you know, the pandemic's over. It's all good. Um, but it kind of feels that way. So as we're coming out of this, how do you, how do you think Canadians can kind of 
shake it off you know us aside just focused on canada like how can how can we kind of shake it off and be able to overcome some of these differences some of like like some of the things that have been said i i don't you know these things scar like this like it's it's one thing for us to to be like okay we'll get along and that's great but like there have been a lot of things that have been said from you know different sides on on these political issues uh of what it means for your orthodoxy and those those statements i i think at least for me it's it's really hard to get rid of so so how do we as canadians just kind of shake that off and get focused back on mission because like I mean, you look at all the stats. You know the stats probably better than I do about the like the average uh, Canadian and how many of them would actually be evangelical Christians. Like we're we're a few and far between here in Canada. There's a lot to do, but we've been so wrapped up in these issues. So how do we shake it off, man? Yeah. So that's the question. So I I would say that to reiterate something. I know there's been some visible division like online and in families and so on but it's interesting the church is the least that i'm connected to that i know pretty well most of them made it through we're having baptisms at my church they're growing both numerically and financially all those kinds of things so i'm not sure we're in a devastated state i do think there's a winnowing that happened and i know that some churches did really suffer so don't get me wrong i'm not trying to but i think the narrative isn't as bad as it sounds at one level sure but i think there's probably two practical things just on unity and then i'll get more directly to your question of like the what to do because i think on the side of those who are maybe more apt to comply with restrictions i think we and that was i'd be part of that we need to be much more vocal and careful to just how we speak for example i was at a, a church um i was speaking at a church uh well it wasn't it was it was a to a congregation on a friday night and you know one of the guys there wasn't vaccinated and he still like can't travel to the u.s and canada easily right so there are still things that are difficult for people who are not vaccinated. Um, secondly, there are people who genuinely lost their businesses. And there are people who are put on indefinite unpaid leave because they weren't vaccinated, for example. And a lot of their lives are, I wouldn't say ruined, but they are just severely hampered. And also, I have, I have a friend who's had two family members die from COVID. Yeah. So th there, there's a sense in which um, I think for those who are more apt to comply, who, who maybe had a more robust way of thinking theologically through these things it maybe felt easy like for, for us in certain respects but it wasn't easy for everyone i think if we're tone deaf to like people who genuinely lost their jobs mortgage rates are rising they're kicked on their house and they have little kids to take care of like it actually stinks and you can't just because you made it out okay we have to be really careful we don't talk like that and take care of those people yeah because they're we're the body of christ um, on the other hand, if you were really pushing for this, you know, stay open and everyone else is bound the need to Caesar, I, I do think that you just need to be careful what you're, you're saying, because words like bound the need to Caesar and heresy mean things like you're destined to hell forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and big statement. you should not even be treated as a brother anymore. Right. That's a huge problem for a number of reasons. One, because the gospel is central and it's a thing that saves us, namely our belief in the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ who will return to judge the quick and the dead. But if you're saying someone's political response, although I know it's theological content to it, is what makes you in and out of the kingdom or bowing to Caesar rather than Christ, which is, you know, out of the kingdom in a sense, you could be just, you have to face that and you're probably going to have to realize that you were wrong, like in virtually every case. Um, and you're also, I think, in my view, I think, need to upgrade your theology. I think a lot, there's, there's been a lot of simplistic theology. Yeah. Some of these theonomy sound bites, they're actually not good arguments. They're not theologically sound, have been rejected by the vast majority of Reformed confessions and traditions for good reason. Even when there were Christian Commonwealth states, like, for example, in the Netherlands, after they bucked off the, uh, the Spanish, they asked Franciscus Junius to write the Mosaic Polity, like, how does the law of Moses actually um, shape our political policy? And even then he talked about some people who are, who are more or less theonomists who wanted to bring it directly in, and that's not right. There's reasons why. There's, the, there's a long and deep theology of this. So I think some people miss that, and then 
out of ignorance condemned people to to basically hell by using words like falling away from the faith or bowing to caesar or heresy or whatever that's a huge problem too so in my view is and i've actually said this i mean in writing and verbally throughout i think the whole pandemic and i could probably easily prove that this has always been a romans 14 type of issue what's what's going on I mean, some people feel like their conscience is bound in a certain way, like you have to stay open. And if their faith says that, okay, and me as, a, as a, another brother in Christ should be able to say, okay, I believe you and I wish the best for you. I'm not going to follow you there, but I believe you. And on the other hand, someone needs to say, well, uh, according to the word of God, I don't think I need to open in this particular way. I think I can follow the 30% rule rather than no 30% rule. And the other side should be able to say, okay, well, I see you. I might consider you a weaker brother or whatever, but I I understand that's your conscience and okay. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Romans 15 and 7 that basically concludes the section that we need to accept one another as, as the Lord accepted us. There is a genuine sense of free and open grace. I mean, Jesus doesn't save the good or the just. He saves the unjust and the bad. Yeah. So even if we view each other, and uh, it can be hard because you said there's, there's deep wounds, we, we need to realize the situation was more Romans 13 than Stark. We need to be sensitive to those who suffered, especially those who are unvaccinated. And also those who condemned other people, we need, they need to be more sensitive, I think, towards one another. That, no, this is Romans 13, not Galatians 1. 14, And that's right. a huge yeah. distinction. In terms of the forward thing, you know what? I think for, the, for most of us in the Canadian church, again, because the internet doesn't always tell you the accurate numbers, We've all realized the importance of congregational life and worship anew because we were a bit more isolated from it. I think there's a sense in which we'll be stronger because those bonds that tie us together will be more valued (laughs) rather than just something you do on Sunday. Hmm. I think those who left the church and haven't returned, I know some churches have lost, you know, like what, 20% or whatever the number is of attendees. I want to be careful how I say this, but it might be the case that they were only there in body, like physical yeah. body, but not really there in spirit. And there might be a sense in which this winnowing will strengthen those who are there. And then like lost sheep, we'll pursue them and, and bring them back if the Lord grants it. I'm not saying abandon those people. Don't don't hear me. I'm just saying there might be a strength there through the, through what's the, the, you know, the, the holy seed that's left over the holy stump. And then we build up the tree from there again. But... Again, my, my vision sometimes limited. The churches that I see and talk to, although some have numerically declined, all have this strong core, I think. Yeah. Very few of the TGC churches, I don't know any actually that have, that would need to like slow down or stop their ministry. I know that some, that's happened to some churches, don't get me wrong. I just, that's not very many. So I think there's, I think the online world maybe is a, is a confusing accounting of things. Okay. Um, I think in the last piece I would say so that not only is there renewed I think appreciation for the congregational life the, the actual embodied experience of it all I do think there's a renewed appreciation for the importance of theology because like yeah. it was a theological like decision how and when you followed pandemic restrictions what it actually meant to be a, a good citizen of Canada and citizen of heaven like what yeah. is that distinction and where does it come from? How Christians thought about it? Because it actually, it was, you know, sometimes people talk about, you know, theology is not practical. Well, yeah, when you're living in like an uber luxurious Canada in 19, where you can have everything at your fingertips, Amazon one day delivery, theology sometimes doesn't feel practical because you have no need. You have, you don't think you have any needs when you do. Yeah. But we needed each other and we needed theology in the last two years. Um, we needed to know how to live. And I think that's maybe, it could be an awakening, I hope, for theology. When all, and by theology, all I mean is loving the Lord our God and knowing what he wants of us. I don't mean reading like a giant textbook this big. Although but you, you should kind of, you, you want them to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I definitely want you to do that. <laughs> don't get me wrong, but I don't necessarily mean that. I just mean just thinking more carefully about what God says to us and what he wants of us and how that's actually important and changes our, our lives and so on. It was awesome. to be some of the things I would say on, on the spot. Yeah. Just a few things, man. That was great. 
I appreciate that word because I like sometimes when you're like in the midst uh, and you're trying to get things done, you're trying to live on mission. Uh, like here we are in Moose Jaw, we're planting a church. And so it's it's a slow go, especially with the pandemic. Like, you know, we put on the brakes for a lot of different things because, you know, no one wants to come and hang out at a church plant when, you know, pandemic is going in and all the rules and all of that. So it's it's just nice to hear someone be a little bit more positive because like, yes, like it's really easy for us to look around and, you know, have the internet tell us that we should be upset. And so that affects us and we're upset. Uh, but then, you know, being like, oh, actually it's kind of kind of easy as we move out, as long as we are living on mission and focused on Jesus, like, it's forbearing with one another like oh yeah i guess that's how we get out of this thing huh <laughs> like we just forbear with one another <laughs> but um yeah i really appreciate that uh now you kind of hinted just a second ago as i have i don't know if you guys can hear it i have a seven-year-old who is like full galloping like galloping like crazy mm. upstairs <laughs> so, um but let, let's hop in and see uh Luke is here and he says, happy independence day. Oh, wait, eh? uh, nice Luke. <laughs> we, we get it. <laughs> uh, rejoicing bones. Uh, yes. Loving God, loving theology helps us know him better in order to love him more appropriately. Yes. Theology really does matter. Absolutely. Um, now theology does matter and you have been doing this really fun thing. Like I haven't, I'm going to be honest with you why I haven't watched all the episodes, so don't get mad at me. Um, but, uh, like you, like, yes, you got the website, you know, TGC Canada, great website, lots of articles. Um, but you also have the YouTube going where you guys have been doing like, obviously the audio podcast as well, but you've been doing, you know, the visual side of it as well. And one of my favorites is uh, Into Theology, where you and Ian Clary have been going through uh, Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion uh, and just basically breaking it down. And while, you know, this, like when I first started YouTube, I thought, oh, I'm going to do deep theology and it's going to, you know, like we're going to go deep on stuff. Reform Baptist, here we go. Uh, but it uh, turned out, no one wants to hear me talk about that. They want to hear you talk about that. They don't want to hear me talk about that. We're, we're kind of a little bit more casual around here. Uh, but if you are looking for something like that, like, I mean, Calvin's Institute's one of the, the greatest theological works, uh, 500 years, we're still talking about it. Um, it's great. And so if you're interested in that, you know, into theology uh, would be something that you'd be very interested in, in getting a hold of and watching all of them. I've watched a bunch of them. I always find it interesting. I like your two minutes of banter and uh, I, I would, I, I want some more. I want some more and I want Ian Clary to grow his mustache back. Like that mustache was great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So into theology, you know, we have a bunch of podcasts. We have a Bible one, worship one. Into theology sure. is like, what we're trying to do is introduce people to like some of the best books ever written and the re that have stood the test of time. So we're doing Augustine's um, Confessions, which is like 1600 years old, but people still read it. Mm. And to take the time to go through chapter by chapter and, and work out the cool ideas. Uh, and so, yeah, Ian's a friend. So we're on a, we're on a minor break. We're going to start up again, I think, maybe even this week. Okay. Uh, Ian, I don't know. I'll, I'll just, I don't know how he, public wants, but he's just kind of help, helping take care of a family member right now. Okay. So we're just on a little bit of a break. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a secret. I just want to be careful. I don't say anything if he doesn't want me to say. For sure. So, um, it is not live. Like, it's not like a bad it's, thing. No worries. It's a good thing. He's, like, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um. So we're on a little bit of a break, partly for that reason. But we'll, I think this week or next, start up again. And we're going to do lots of cool things. Uh, I, I like doing that. We kind of nerd out. Uh, we're both. So, so I also teach at um, different places like redeemer university and so on so and he teaches we're, we're able to kind of nerd out as um more, more put our professor hats on a little bit and uh but we try to make it accessible to everyone um but we don't put the so we don't put the cookies at the bottom shelf so some of it will be a little like you might have to google around to find a, a blog or two to figure out what the words we are using mean sure um we kind of do that on purpose we try to do our best but like there's so much i don't know how to put this I think sometimes that's okay. 
Yeah. Well, it's good to be stretched, right? Like it's good to just kind of yeah. like sometimes when someone's like, if it's always talking over someone's head, that's not super helpful. But when it's like right there and people right. have to jump up or get on their tippy toes to kind of figure out, you know, what that means, like that's, that's all right. Um, but I'm curious I'm because maybe one thing I'll say, look, can I say one thing before you move go on for it? Yeah. Go for it. Clarify. It's to respect the listener because I think people are actually smart. And yeah. I think sometimes we always try to make it all too simple, but like people go to college to become engineers, programmers, even like a, being a plumber is a hard job, <laughs> like knowing levels and the piping technology and code. So like any of these jobs that people get equipped are highly technical and hard to figure out. And then somehow we try to make, you know, theology so simple. It's like, well, it is simple at one level, but there there's depth to it. And mm -hmm. like respect the listener. They're intelligent. Yeah. They have brains. Respect them. Give them a challenge. Anyway, sorry. That's my, that was a yeah, chip on my I shoulder. I like it, man. Well, like even like a couple weeks ago, I was helping my father-in-law build his fence and he showed me the plans and I was like, I got three degrees and it ain't in this. <laughs> this is too yeah. much for me. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, like every, it. it's Anyone. jargon and experience and all of that kind of stuff um, that you learn as you move forward. You know, we figure it out. The fence is built. Um, so I'm curious though, like as you've gone deep in, into one of the greatest theological works with uh, the institutes, like what have been some of like the surprising things that you've learned from John Calvin? Cause everyone, you know, kind of boils it down to, Oh, a book's about Calvinism. And it's not about Calvinism. It's like got a little, little tiny bit of Calvinism in it. Like what would become it? But like, what, what are some of like the things that you're just like, I was, I, I was kind of either shocked or just like thought it was funny or uh, different things that you were like, wow, like Calvin wrote about this. Like didn't know, didn't know about that. I'll tell you one area. So um, we usually call it common grace day, the God's goodness that he shares with all people, Christian or not. Now, when you think of Calvinism, you think of very stern, kind of like it's the Christian community is the elect and everyone else is kind of not. But he has this whole argument um, that you should read uh, philosophers, and if you don't, you'll pay, uh, you'll, you'll you'll have a punishment for your sloth if you don't. Okay. Um, he has this whole thing about how there's real virtue in the world, and the reason you have vir virtue in the world, and we had great leaders, for example, is not because there's something necessarily good in us, but because the Holy Spirit, in a general sense, inspires it. Not like, you know, the technical Bible uh, scripture sense. And so the Holy Spirit is actually, for Calvin, the active agent that shows genuine, real virtue in the world among, like, say, a civic leader. So he gives you a category to say, like, okay, when a, when a teacher teaches a child and they're not a Christian, that's a genuine good thing. Or when a leader makes a hard decision, you know, in civics or whatever it is, and you have a category for that being good, and you can credit that to God for his glory. That was like quite helpful because I'm, you know, common grace is a, is a big, important concept. And we mostly know it from recent authors. But Calvin, I think, has a really cool view on it that would probably make people uncomfortable today. And here's a second one. Um, sometimes you think the Reformation is like, OK, it's all the word imputation. So it's this idea of righteousness being imputed to you by faith. So imputation sure. is just the impartation, whatever. Well, Calvin does have that. But Calvin, I think, is main argument is that you're united with christ and because he was so spirit filled the spirit is like an overflowing well of water and the overflow of christ uh, overflows to the to the entirety of his spiritual body the body of christ and the spirit is the one who then joins you to to him and through that essential and he calls it even calls it a mystical union you receive all the benefits of, of christ righteousness justification and so on and I think that kind of more personal connection with with Christ um, maybe changes how we view of it. Because if you think of it too, too much like a math textbook, you're like, yeah. I believed, imputed righteousness, now uh, sanctified. You, you got, going through you got the arrows and the equation mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's useful to abstract that, but it's not necessarily useful to do that part of your like and then even like the lord's supper for example in kelvin and this is not just in the institutes but also in his his reigns uh, as well but I mean, he has a really cool view of the spiritual presence of christ and the experience of the eucharistic gift that i think uh, especially baptists really need 
because we got we got to make sacraments sacramental again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we yeah we oversimplified it for a little too long, <laughs> and there there is a spiritual aspect to it. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, like uh, any anything that you were like, just kind of like I can't believe Calvin. Like did you did you find like yourself like disagreeing like hardcore about anything as you were reading it like because i i read calvin's institutes in bible college and then uh probably i think like my second year pastoral ministry so that that would be like i don't know when was that like 20 2013 was probably like the last time that i really went deep in it and then it's just become like a reference book um but you you just went through it and like on a deep level so like anything that you're just like I, I disagree with Calvin. Should we cancel him? <laughs> hmm. So Calvin. So what did I disagree? So maybe I'll tell you how, what I, it's not so much like a disagreement, like a, a huge piece of theology, but here's something. Um, early Calvin in his writings, he's actually not a good pastor early on. He gets kicked out of Geneva and he needs to go to Strasbourg to meet Martin Bootser. Mm. And Bootser kicks him into shape. We have this one story, and I won't remember all the details, where an enemy of Calvin comes to town and is accepted into the town. And Calvin is just miffed and angry and runs out in anger. And Bootser tracks him down. It's like, dude, be kind. <laughs> and actually, uh, those years in Strasbourg changed Calvin. And when he returns to Geneva, he's a much better pastor. And I think he might he might keep some of that sternness and that kind of rigidity. I don't know what the right word is. Rigidity, whatever that word could be. Yeah. Uh, you can figure it out. Um, he keeps that. And I think that might be um, which makes him hard to access and sometimes makes him feel a little bit not fun. Like if you read Luther, Luther's like, I want to go drinking with you. Like I yeah, just want to yeah, spend yeah. a night with you and just <laughs> yeah. see what happens. And, um, but Calvin, I think, doesn't have that. But he's also hyper sickly and, you know, he's threatened with death all the time, which is, which it's not is, helpful, which probably changes how you yeah. feel. So I would say that would be kind of a thing. Um, at the same time, the Calvin that we know through some of the popular books, it's not really the, like, not really Calvin. I mean, yeah. he's much more ecumenical than we think. Uh, he's okay with things, I think, like bishops, um, He's okay with ecclesiology being a bit modified to make sense of your local setting. He's not as strict as, we, as maybe a modern-day Presbyterian might be. Sure. So he, he's actually more surprising than you think based on stereotypes. But I do think his early life where he's maybe kind of a bad pastor and some of his later sternness, it kind of makes him hard to love. Whereas other people you read, like Augustine's easy to love because he reads yeah. confessions and he's like, oh, I'm just like him. You know, <laughs> we're both wayward in the same way, all these spheres. Or you read someone like Gregory of Nazianzus, who's another old person from the 300s. And he's almost like, so he, you know, he's in Constantinople in 381 for this big council. He's presiding over it, but kind of gets kicked off because he's outmaneuvered. And then as a response, he goes home to his spa and then writes like moody poetry, you know, like <laughs> against it. You're like, oh, yeah, I can understand that too. A bit yeah. bitter at how things worked. Oh, um, a little emo. A little so, emo. A little emo. Yeah, I think that would be a part of it. I don't, I don't remember like one giant piece of theology where I was like really mad at because one of the things with Calvin is that he's a really balanced thinker, so he doesn't generally overstate things. I, uh, here's one area where I would say he um, – here's, here's one that I kind of just remembered where he maybe didn't help the case. So one of the, the first post-New Testament heresies in the church – were various forms of Gnosticism. Sure. So Gnosticism is not really a thing. There's just various groups. But one of their big problems was uh, that they held to was fatalism. And that was one of the earliest heresies. Now, Calvin believes in free will um, against, you know, the uh, Theobros cage stage people. <laughs> but he doesn't always say things that are going to be helpful uh because he says things like you can make a free choice even if it's like necessary and things like that so his language i think is not as helpful as some of the later guys in the 1600s like william perkins and so on who find language to say yes we do have free choice but also god is somehow in control of everything 
and they 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 give you like the language where you cannot be a determinist but still believe in like the you know the sovereignty of God. Where I think Calvin is just like, this is just what it is. Moving on, and I kind of felt like he, he you know, he's in the Wild West a little bit in Geneva in like the 1500s, so you can't blame him. But I also feel like he's he's open to reading that and leading someone to a more fatalistic direction, even though it's not really his intent. He's trying to yeah. defend free choice, interestingly enough. Rejoicing Bones has a question. Do you think there may have been a need for toughness there in Geneva? He says, not a leading question, but. Yeah, because you had like a group of people, for example, who had like the plague and they were dropping plague juice over people's doors because they thought it was a good thing to do. What? And so you live in this wild world. Uh, you have like actual witches. You have people trying to be sick in each other. You have violence and drunkenness. Calvin, when he preached a sermon, probably if I remember right, probably would have had like, yeah, he would have like dogs, babies crying, fights breaking yeah. out. So he would have had a boisterous preacher because preaching back then when everyone came, think about this. If everyone in the city basically comes, not everyone per se, but most people would have come. Um, a lot of them are not dedicated, pious people. They're just, they're no. rough people. And uh, so oratory at that time, is not like you're in a quiet little auditorium. It's like he had probably to yell over people, speak loudly, capture their attention, beat them into submission verbally. And maybe sometimes the constabulary had to do it physically. So the toughness is actually a bit more required than today because we're in a very, at least our violence is often more protected from our, from our churches. We live in a unique time where you can go to church and not expect a fight to break out. Well, I don't know. (laughs) Stories. You You haven't been in the Baptist churches I have. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there is the other is that too. But John Chrysostom, he's like, well, you have all these people who come and, and they just enjoy the Eucharist, the Lord's supper. And then they just leave. They don't listen to the sermon. You know, he'll just come and walk, you know, walk out on you. So you have, if or I don't know if I jumped in that time period, anyways. So you have all these things, and I think Calvin maybe did need a bit of a stronger hand than we would today. So sometimes we read him as 21st century Canadians, we're like, oh, he's not nice. Well, that would be a mistake because there's a certain necessity put upon people to have a little to to be a little bit more gruff, and that would have been more socially acceptable, and people would have not been as offended as we are because that's just normal. Yeah. Be a, that would be an aspect of it. Awesome. Well, as we kind of wind down, I wanted to ask you, like, you know, just some fun questions too. Uh, so, what's your favorite anime, Wyatt? I know, I know you you are. I don't know if you want that as public on the internet, but I've seen you tweet about it, so I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. you're okay with it. What's your favorite anime? It's funny that I, I've tweeted about anime. Interesting. Uh, I don't remember, uh, but that's good. It's my favorite anime. Okay, let me think. Uh, hmm. Hmm. Or well, which I'll, I'll which one do you think a new guy should try out? Well, a new guy. Okay, so well, the one that gives me the most nostalgia is like Dragon Ball Z, because like okay. as a kid growing up, that was yeah. like that's cool. It was pretty cool. And so I could even though the episode just is way too long, like the Frieza fight takes like two years. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of fun. It's pretty accessible. But the anime that I watched today is is really the the films, well, not the only one, the ones I really appreciate, the films pretty Hayao Miyazaki. So my okay, favorite yeah. movie is My Neighbor Totoro. Okay. I could watch that. And I do watch that like 10 times a year with my yeah. kids. It's, it's, it's a children's uh, film about these these two little girls move to a village to be near their mother who's in a hospital who's suffering from some illness. And they're kind of lonely and they meet basically this little spirit animal to be their friend. And it's just this really like sweet little film that has no like giant narrative problem to be accomplished, but it's, it's a total feeling. It's okay. a feeling of, of friendship and love and sisterhood and goodness. So stuff like that. Um, my favorite of those films though, would be um, spirited away. I love that movie. Yeah. It's a little a bit really older. It's probably to be about 12 or so. Yeah. To really enjoy it. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I've never seen those. I always hear people cause like I'm a big movie guy. Uh, and people talking about like some of the greatest movies, like it's, it's up there. Like people talk about spirited away quite a bit in that conversation and I still haven't seen it, but uh, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it for you. Um, so I have another question of just show my cards a little bit. Um, all right. I've got three degrees. Uh, sometimes when I sit at a table with certain people, I will feel like I'm very smart. 
you know it's just like there's like it depends on who you're around you're just like oh i'm okay i i feel like i'm like i maybe have like the firmest grasp on uh historical theology at this table and then i go to a different table and i i feel like this would happen if we were sitting at a table <laughs> but uh i go to a different table and all of a sudden i feel like I'm like the dumbest guy at that table and probably should not be at that table. Maybe, maybe like move like my chair back a little bit. I don't belong at that table. I have like someone like you who has, I don't know, like 14 degrees and I I know it's less than that, but like, uh, but you're, you're really, uh, really well educated. Also very, you know, just studied. So, I have a question of, <laughs> have you ever felt that way of going from one table? You're like, okay, I fit in at this table. Like I'm good. Like we can have this conversation and, uh, you go to a different table and you're just like, oh man, these guys talking like way over my head. Have you ever felt that way? And who was at the table? Yes. So I, I would say, um, maybe not like a literal table I was sitting at, but I think sometimes in some of the, the more like the, like, conversation with like neoconservatism and some of the movements um guys like bradford little john and others who just have a really keen grasp on this make me feel like i know nothing um or for example there's a guy out in bc who i did a podcast with on high toryism um ron darts his name okay (laughs) and just the amount of of knowledge on on exclamatory amount of of toryism and just the, the political history reaching back to richard hooker i just felt completely inequipped and like yeah uh, don't understand anything um sometimes if i talk to someone like i don't know if i necessarily feel this way because i'm a friend of his but i just know that's true is a guy like michael haken on baptist history <laughs> I don't yeah know that that'll do it you <laughs> guys have written a lot of books about yeah, it yeah i'm just like i don't <laughs> i don't know there are baptists it's and stuff happens uh but <laughs> he knows it like like he's married to it kind of thing so I think that happens and it should happen all the time because there's so much knowledge is so vast that no individual can ever master it all. And therefore sure. you always need the body of Christ. And that should just be a thing. And one of the problems that I think you see, especially among like pastors or church leaders is because you, you've been asked to do everything. You need to know um, epidemiology. You need to know education. You need, like, you need to know this political thing. Yeah. You get asked these questions and there's a burden put upon pastors, especially to be universal renaissance men and women uh, men Mm -hmm. and well that's a huge problem because you actually shouldn't know all those things because you should have someone in your church who does you should have a doctor in your church who you can go to for doctor type things and a science type person you go for science types things doesn't mean you can't know stuff by the way i'm just saying yeah your job as pastor is genuinely your, your your shepherd shepherding sheep unto god and you might be really good also at engineering, by the way. That's that's fine. I'm just noting that that pressure that's put upon us sometimes is an unfair pressure. And it, it makes us feel like imposters all the time because everybody expects you to know about Bill C, whatever it is, and all the details about it and our response and the only thing that what Christians should do. And you're like, what if I just don't know? I was at two funerals this week and I was counseling someone. I have no idea. And therefore, I think the, the body of Christ is, is deeply essential for that one, to experience the humility of not knowing everything on that table, and then two, to experience the gift of the Spirit, because it's not just you. And this happens not only in local congregations, but I think also it's meant to happen across the universal church, and that's why voluntary associations like Baptist do or TGC or whatever can be really helpful, because you can just help each other out Hmm. on what we don't know. The danger is in a church that is, is so independent that you're like the only church that's you're, you're only associated with yourself. The pastor often feels like he needs to be the expert in everything. And that can be disastrous because it's impossible and you have to almost fake it or you think you actually know it. And um, I think yeah. you lose that, that confrontation with some of the table knows more than you. That creates kind of a culture of humility where you can be like, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's good because God made it that way because there's a body of Christ and I'm, I may be the eyeball, but this guy's the toe or whatever. Yeah. All right. Uh, and my last question as we end this thing. Um, all right. You're in your office. Uh, what, what music are you putting on when you're, you know, going deep into a study, you're writing a new article. 
getting ready for a podcast. What what kind of music are you listening to? I I listen to all sorts of things. Um, sometimes I'll listen to metal. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe I like just had Joe Thorne on the like show. <laughs> like he's gonna yeah. like that answer. <laughs> uh, sometimes punk. What do I? What would I normally listen to? Uh, got to be some Taylor Swift from time to time. Love that okay. Taylor Swift. You were you were doing. I, I listen. So well. I'm, I'm so you were doing so well, like, Wyatt. No. <laughs> listen to like everything. I'm I'm a Swift. I'm not really a Swifty, but I, I don't mind. Honestly, I listen to everything, and I I just I'm trying to think. What am I? What would be the most common thing that I listen to right now? Um, I listen to Hayao Miyazaki music sometimes, actually. Okay. Oh, I know what I listen to often. Okay, here's what it is. I usually listen to, to Eastern chants, Eastern Orthodox chants. So really? Psalms and things like that. Um, yeah, I do all the time. Yeah. I just remembered. <laughs> I looked at my spot. See, and I opened it up. See, I love that answer because had you told me, I would have been like, oh, it's probably classical music or maybe like film scores. Like I listen to film scores. Um, but like you gave me like the, the, the ends of it. And I really appreciate that. Now we know, you know, you're a Swifty, yeah. but also you listen to Gregorian chants. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, not Gregorian, but Eastern chants are a little bit different. Sure. But Gregorian, uh, I don't like it as much. But I'll listen to like chants of the Psalms or through old hymns and things like that. I love it. Awesome. Um, but I'm <laughs> but I'm also extremely odd. So <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're a pretty cool guy. Uh, guys, again, um, you know, head over to Gospel Coalition Canada. Check out the Into Theology uh, podcast with, uh, Wyatt and with Ian Clary. It's really good stuff. And they'll be coming out with some new things. Anything else, uh, coming on, you know, down the road with TGC. Uh, just that we're at a conference, November 17, 18, it's a conference on rest, genuine rest. It's a day and a half meant to be shorter to kind of feed into that rest thing, not to compete with some of the big conferences, HB Charles, Sam Ellery, a bunch of others are coming out. So I think registration should be live tomorrow, maybe the next day. There's just a couple back-end okay. pieces I'm going to finish up. Um, I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be genuinely a helpful place to network and not really feel hyper-pressured. It's going to be low-key on purpose. Um, yeah, beyond that, uh, just website, podcast, all that kind of stuff You can people can check out or do whatever they want to do. Awesome. It's the internet. Well- yeah, that's true. It's the internet. People do what they want to do. Uh, well, thanks for coming on the show, Wyatt. I really appreciate you. Appreciate what you're doing with TGC Canada, uh, giving us some resources I think we really need. So uh, always appreciate interacting with you. And uh, for you guys, for you guys watching, make sure uh, to like the video. Uh, think about subscribing to the channel. Uh, we're I'm going to have a few more interviews. I'm kind of testing out interviews over the last couple of weeks. And so, uh, but we'll have a few more. I got Tim Frisch uh, coming on the channel from a Frisch perspective on Wednesday. And uh, we're going to be talking about Bibles, high quality Bibles. I don't know. He's probably got, I want to know how many Bibles he has. This is a question that I want to know. Uh, but we'll be back on Wednesday. I'll see you then. Hope you have a really good day uh, for the Americans. You know, go blow something out. Have fun. See ya.